welcome to the uh, Iowa Geriatric Education Center Geriatric Lecture Series. I'm Stacy Salisbury, and I'm going to talk to you today about fall safe environments in long-term care settings. Um, my disclosure statement, um, I have no financial uh, interests or relationships with uh, any manufacturers of products or providers of services um, that I might be discussing today in uh, my presentation. Um, and I'm not going to discuss any particular pharmaceuticals or medical procedures or devices um, either. I also have a disclaimer statement. Um, and that's when we're talking about falls in long-term care settings. We haven't actually had very many clinical trials or controlled studies that have tested specific fall prevention interventions, um, which means this presentation is um, based largely upon best practice recommendations, as well as uh, regulatory um, advice uh, from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So although they have nothing to do with this presentation, um, so when if you're thinking about using anything that we might talk about today um, in your particular nursing facility, um, just use caution when you're um, when you're implementing anything uh, with specific individuals. So, the objectives for today's uh, talk: we're going to discuss fall-related terms in long-term care settings, kind of from a regulatory perspective, and kind of how that fits into how. We need to think about falls within this environment. I'm going to describe a model to identify and evaluate fall-related risks and hazards in long-term care setting, illustrate action steps to reduce fall risk among various resident populations in long-term care, um, and at the end we'll have kind of an extemporaneous uh, proposal of strategies to foster positive staff attitudes uh, towards fall-safe environments, since I didn't get that slide done. Um, so we'll see what we have to say at the end of uh, this discussion. So kind of objective one, um, discussing fall-related terms in long-term care settings. And I'm going to kind of focus on the idea of accidents, hazards, risks, falls, um, as well as um, how we talk about them within the minimum data set. So CMS guidance. Um, for surveyors, the state operations manual for long-term care settings. It, it's, you know, they have a lot of good advice kind of about how to think about, about falls or a variety of topics uh, in long-term care facilities. But if you're looking for a section specifically on fall prevention, it's pretty hard to find. You actually have to stumble upon it. Um, falls are listed under the idea of accidents. This is the tag F323, in which states that a facility must ensure that the resident environment remains as free from ha accident hazards as possible and that each resident receives adequate supervision and assistance devices to prevent accidents. So, key definitions. The ideas again, accidents, hazards, and risks. I'm going to start with the idea of accidents. CMS identifies two specific kinds of accidents. There's the avoidable accident, and then there's the unavoidable accident. So an accident is any unexpected or unintentional incident which may 
result in injury or illness to a resident. This doesn't include any adverse outcomes um, from treatment or care provided in accordance to current standards of practice. So if you're doing kind of what the literature says you should be doing about preventing falls and someone falls, you know, this may not be of any concern. An avoidable accident, though, is a failure on the part of the facility to identify, assess, or prevent an accident, a hazard, or a risk. This includes the failure to um, provide adequate supervision, or if care is not provided according to current standards of practice, or if care is provided that is inconsistent with the resident needs, goals, or the plan of care. In contrast, an unavoidable accident happens when a facility made adequate effort to identify fall hazards and risks in their environment and implemented fall prevention strategies that meet those current standards of care, but the accident happened anyway. So when you're thinking about kind of the unavoidable versus avoidable accidents, you know, when when there's a big snowstorm and there's ice everywhere, you know, you can't really stop Mother Nature from happening. And so, you know, that is one kind of, you know, one kind of accident. In contrast, you know, when a floor is wet, um, you can warn people about the wet floor. You can make sure that residents are kind of guided around the wet floor. You can make sure that, that the whole floor isn't wet at one time. So these are avoidable accidents. So it's, you know, kind of, you know, think about, is it something that you could have actually prevented from happening versus is it not? So, so within that definition of accidents, we had the idea of hazards. Hazards are elements of the resident environment ha that have the potential to cause injury or illness. So the resident environment includes the physical environment to which the resident has access. We're talking about resident rooms, common use areas, facility grounds. Those are the places that need to, you know, kind of be fall proofed for the residents. Um, offices, uh, backs, you know, storage spaces, things like this. While it's really good to have fall safe environments for everyone, including your staff, um, you know, the focus of these, uh, of the CMS is, you know, the physical environment that the resident moves through. There's also the idea within the within the concept of hazards is that it's these are hazards over which the facility has control. Environmental hazards where reasonable efforts by the facility could influence risk to residents for causing injury or illness. You need to be free of accident hazards as possible. Going back to kind of my earlier idea of the ice storm. Um, the ice certainly would be a hazard. And so what can you do about that? You know, you can make sure that um, that the, the ice is, is removed as quickly as possible, that there's some type of you know, non-stick or slip surface uh, put down, some sand or something. You know, that residents are, you know, um, not going outside during conditions like this, or if they are, that they have a guide. This is kind of my, um, I think this is a really good slide of uh, where's, instead of where's Waldo, um, how could Waldo um, slip. Um, and I'll just give you a second or two to kind of look over this slide for accident hazards that are kind of waiting to happen. Kind of as soon as I saw this picture, the floor mats kind of jumped out at me. Number one, they're not secured to the floor in any way. 
Um, in addition, there are these upturned edges, which, you know, while while our gentleman in the wheelchair, you know, isn't likely to really trip over this spot, um, someone who's walking could certainly trip over this area. So there's also this kind of small unknown object that's almost the same color as the floor lying there. It's, it's hard to see. It's definitely something that a person could stumble upon. Certainly shouldn't be there. If you look around, there's the glare that's kind of present um, in most nursing facilities um, that have the tile floors. And, you know, just figuring out ways to enhance the lighting so that the glare isn't hitting right there, which makes it hard to know if a floor is really wet or dry. In addition, over in the sitting area, we've got these really lightweight tables. They can move easily if you bump into them. People getting up, getting down, kind of this whole area, a lot of furniture that could easily skid out of place um, and, and cause a fall for someone. If you kind of look around the entire space, there are very few handrails in the public area. And the ones that are there are either covered up by furniture or are kind of blended in with the environmental clutter. So anyone who's actually walking um, doesn't really have a good place to kind of grip a hold in this really big space. So we've also got what appears to be an unattended wheelchair as well as equipment in the walking paths. You know, pretty much uh, hallways are not a place to, to store equipment. Um, and this just you know, really gets in the way and would make it very easy for someone to trip. In addition, we've got, we've got a person that's all off by themselves. We've got a staff person who's getting ready to head up upstairs um, or downstairs somewhere, um, which will leave this person kind of all alone. And when people are by themselves and don't have a way to get assistance from the staff, that's really a time when a person could have a fall. So those are some accident hazards that are pretty common in long-term care facilities. So then there's the idea of risk. And risk is related to resident characteristics and resident external factors. So the resident characteristics are the, when you're in the fall literature, we've heard it um, throughout the different discussions um, over the course of this series, you know, are these intrinsic factors, things about the resident that makes them more likely to fall, um, that they have continence issues, that they have, um, you know, lower limb weakness, that they have vision problems, that they have cognition problems. These are things that make it so that, that aren't really changeable. It's part of the resident and it just puts them at risk. Um, in contrast, there's this idea of external factors, things that are, you know, outside of the resident, but still part of the resident. Um, the kind of footwear they use, the kind of assistive devices that they use, whether or not they're you know, that you can have bad visions, but you can also not be wearing your glasses. Those kind of external ideas. So what we want to do um, in this environment is minimize hazards in the environment, minimize risks to the resident, as well as something that's really not included in the CMF's def definitions about falls is to enhance the strengths of the residents so that um, so that they're, you know, using the skill set that they have to maintain um, our nice upright uh, posture, so uh, not on the floor. So 
Um, in this slide, I thought we could just like take a second um, to think about some of the resident risks. And I'll just let you look at it for a second or two. It's a little bit blurry, but I think you can tell that this, this person has had an amputation of some kind because we have, you know, only one foot hanging down here. And within that foot, um, it looks like we have some type of um, brace or something, you know, which, which put, you know, more of a risk. This dangly shoestring I'm quite worried about because if you've only got one foot to balance on, you certainly want to have um, your footwear to be as sturdy and as possible. We also kind of see some, you know, not a whole lot of upper body strength. So when you're doing transfers, this can certainly be an issue um, that would be more at risk for a falls, um, as well as kind of this dangly clothing that can get caught. So these are a lot of kind of the more internal risk factors, not the footwear, of course. But then moving through this space, we have a lot of accident hazards you know, waiting to happen. Yep, we certainly want to have um, the fire extinguisher in an easy accessible place, but do we want it where people are walking and where they have to take their hands up? You know, and of course, equipment in the hallway, never a good idea. So there's a couple more um, definitions that are very important um, when we're talking about uh, long-term care environments and falls. And one of those ideas is the idea of an assistive device or assistance device. It can be called either, either thing. Um, and that's any item such as fixtures, such as handrails, grab bars, devices or equipment like transfer lifts, canes, wheelchairs um, that's used by or that's used in the care of a resident to promote or supplement or enhance resident um, function and safety. Obviously, long-term care um, has all kinds of assistive devices, but they need to be safe and um, kind of in, in good repair. Um, if you just kind of look at this resident environment for a moment, and we kind of we can see kind of a lot of different issues. You know how how much this uh, room is used, hard to say. But this not the sturdiest uh, chair I commode chair I have ever seen. No, we have no grab bars in this bathroom, which is a which is an issue. Just trip hazard. Trip hazard. You know, lots of lots of things to run into, bump into, and no place to really grab. So, kind of the second the second piece of this is not only should people have the assistive devices that they need, but they also need to have the supervision um, necessary to make sure that they um, aren't getting themselves into uh, accidental trouble. So, supervision it is an intervention, and it means lessening the risk of an accident. Um, facilities are obligated to provide adequate supervision to prevent accidents. And adequate supervision is a very broad term. You can't just say, um, well, we had five CNAs on that hallway um, this afternoon, so that that's adequate. It's really defined by the type and the frequency of supervision that's necessary. You know, you need to assess the individual resident needs in an area. Um, is it adequate to prevent accidents? And you need to ch make sure that from resident to resident you have enough supervision. 
that a person who is, you know, at a high fall risk is having falls isn't in a in a location where getting help um, is problematic, you know, on a unit where perhaps the staffing is a little bit lower. It's also important to keep in mind that any individual resident may have time fluctuations where their supervision needs um, are different. Are different. You know, this is very common in people who wander and who wander a certain time of day, you know, kind of being um, aware that this is happening and that there is someone who's, you know, attending to this person. Um, so um, supervision, kind of very fluctuating term. So there's also kind of the, the idea of kind of safe Places and there are, there are areas within any nursing facility where adequate supervision kind of happens a little bit less often. Um, resident rooms um, is definitely one area where people, you know, are often alone and doing things on their own. Like you're getting up to go to the bathroom, they're going over to their over to their wardrobe to to pull out um, an item that they want. So it's hard to keep track of people who are in there in their individual spaces. Um, outdoor spaces are also a place where um, adequate supervision is um, a little bit of a challenge because a lot of things can kind of come up when you're outside. So dining rooms at off times, but just kind of making sure that there's, that there's not places where people can be without um, someone there to help out. So, so we've gone through a whole lot of things and I'm kind of doing this like the actual guidance um, goes through things. They talk about a lot of different ideas before they get up to the idea of what is a fall in long-term care facilities. And in this environment, a fall refers to unintentionally coming to rest on the ground or floor or other lower level, but not as a result of an overwhelming external force. So it's not a fall when a resident pushes another resident down, but within a long-term care environment, there's also this idea um, that is not a fall, <laughs> is a fall. Because the definition goes on to say that an episode where a resident has lost his or her balance and would have fallen if not for staff intervention, that's a fall. You might consider it a good catch, but um, you know, we would need to do kind of a workup about um, falls the same way as we would for someone who landed on the ground. So a fall when someone doesn't get hurt, that's still a fall. Um, and unless there's evidence to suggest otherwise, when a resident is found on the floor for any reason, unobserved, you have to consider that a fall has occurred um, and do um, your work up in that regard. So that kind of goes through the different aspects of um, how CMS dis defines the idea of falls and um, what is important to put together for um, fall, fall prevention. So the idea of accidents, hazards, and risks. You know, defining between avoidable and unavoidable accidents, um, identifying hazards in the environment, and minimizing those, as well as decreasing the individual risks that people have within their, within their own selves. This brings us to the minimum data set, um, which is, you know, the way that we collect data in long-term care facilities that we kind of share and make judgments about kind of what's going on um, in a facility with a resident um, 
as well as kind of across nursing homes in general. So this is the resident assessment and care screening process for common conditions that are often unrecognized or under-evaluated. Um, Section J for health conditions covers the falls assessment and it basically looks at um, on admission whether someone has fallen 30 days before they got in, if they fell within six months prior to their admission, and if they fractured a bone um, because of a fall in the last six months. This kind of puts us at the idea of whether or not we have a faller and whether or not we have a faller who is likely to get injured when people are admitted to the long-term care facility. Then after that, we do follow-up assessments, you know, quarterly. Has the resident fallen since admission? Um, and was there any falls since the last assessment? Um, let me go back. So we're looking at number of falls, which are categorized as zero, one, or two or more, which is consistent across the fall, the fall prevention literature. We're kind of looking at, have you had a fall in, you know, at all in the past year? Have you had just one or have you had two or more? And the, this revision of the minimum data set looks at falls with no injury, falls with an injury, and falls with a major injury, a fracture of some kind. So, boom. And if, if anything comes up um, during the MDS falls assessment in Section J, you're, we're going to have a care trigger, a care area trigger, or a CAT, which used to be the wraps. Um, and um, any of these, if, if any place in the MDS kind of scores um, positively, care area trigger will be, will, will be triggered, and then you'll want to put in a fall prevention care plan. Um, so some things like wandering. People are wondering there are any balance problems, particularly with um, transfers or um, walking or changing kind of from sitting to standing, if any of the, the codes for the fall history were triggered, if people are on two different kinds of um, medications, anti-anxiety medication or antidepressants, and if anyone's using restraints. These are all kind of high-risk areas for future falls in long-term care settings. So the MDS um, has had some changes in their falls quality indicators between the MDS 2.0 and the MDS 3.0. Um, in the in the 2.0 version, we're just kind of looking at um, falls in the past 30 days. This new way of looking at things um, will be the number of falls since the last assessment period. So that you know is is 90 days instead of 30 days. So you know it's likely that falls will go up. Um, as these, as this, uh, we start using this new, this new system. But what we know about the falls should kind of be the better distinctions because we'll know the number of falls someone has had without any injuries. We'll know how many people have had had some type of injury as well as a major injury like a fracture. So this will this will really help us um, be able to kind of compare. The, the whole apples to apples things and the app, you know, the oranges to oranges things, because it's important to know if someone's falling without getting hurt versus falling um, while getting hurt. So, um, okay, that kind of comes to the end of objective one. Um, just kind of defining, defining the, the scope of what falls are in long-term care settings. So, um, objective two 
is to describe a model to identify and evaluate fall-related risks and hazards in long-term care settings. So, there's a big challenge in long-term care settings. You have to seek balance between protecting a resident, a single resident, um, as well as all residents from harm, and supporting the resident's right to make individual choices with maintaining compliance with state and federal regulations. This re responsibility to respect a resident's choice, it, it, it really kind of may go against at times this um, facility's obligation to protect a resident from harm, um, but the facility has the obligation to educate the resident, their family members, and the staff about significant risks um, related to a resident's choice. And incorporating those choices in a plan of care um, to reduce the risk of accidents, you know, while honoring what the resident wants. But consent by a resident or the responsible party alone doesn't absolve a facility from um, assuring for their health and safety. So just because a resident wants something to happen, you have to kind of balance that with making sure that they don't get hurt. And so figuring out a way that their wants can happen, you know, kind of upping maybe their strengths and decreasing risk within that area is kind of the balance challenge. So the regulations, when you're looking at um, putting together a model for preventing falls in long-term cares, have this assumption, you know, where that all long-term care settings are alike in some way. There, there, there are people who need nursing care in them and um, very vague terms, um, Accidents, hazards, risks, without a whole lot of specification. So we get this kind of picture that it's, you know, a, a nursing home is this facility with the long hallways um, kind of all looking alike. But in nursing home reality, residents are all quite different. You'll have you'll have folks that are engaging with um, with their environments, um, like this person, you know, this by a window and looking out in the outside world but also petting an animal you know you've got folks who are spending you know time alone kind of going up and down the halls you've got uh, older people who have dementia or depression and who are spending a lot of time kind of alone um, where you've got people who love to hang out in the different groups and you know could get could be bumping around that way you know You've got folks who are there for rehabilitation and maybe some people who are there for a long stay who are, you know, kind of the wee junkies now, um, now that video games are more and more in nursing homes. So everyone's quite different and brings their own risks there. So when we're thinking about, well, how are we going to kind of implement um, the recommend, kind of recommendations, um, fall prevention strategies in long-term care settings, you have to kind of think of what the intent of the regulation requirement is. And that's to ensure that the long-term care facility provides, you know, an environment that's free from accident hazards um, and those over which the facility has control particularly, as well as supervision and assistive devices to each resident to prevent avoidable accidents. So when CMS kind of puts together how how people should be taking care of, um, you know, the process that should be followed in long-term care. You need to identify hazards and risks, evaluate and analyze those hazards and risks, 
implement interventions to reduce those hazards of risk, and then monitor and modify. Um, monitor the effectiveness of the interventions and then modify them um, when necessary. And, you know, kind of how this model is outlined in the, in the various guidances that we have um, from the regulators, it's this kind of linear process where, you know, this, you kind of identify, you might modify, you know, kind of back at the intervention stage, but it doesn't necessarily have you going back to the beginning and figuring things out. But a strength of this model um, that CMS proposes um, through their guidance is this idea of having a facility that is committed to fall safety, or I like to think of it as a fall safe environment. So you will acknowledge um, there's a high risk population and a setting, developing a reporting system, involving staff, directing resources towards safety concerns and demonstrating commitment to safety at all levels of the organization. So, so this is kind of my idea of, you know, commitment to fall safety through acknowledging the high-risk population and setting. Um, I think of it as there's so many residents and so many fall hazards and risks. So when you think about any long-term care facility, the people involved need to really know who the residents are and what types of situations they might be bringing in as fall risks. For instance, you know, is there a dementia unit in the facility? People with cognitive impairments, you know, have fluctuating judgments um, and, you know, may need more the help of moving um, people from here or there, keeping them safe, helping them make decisions. Versus if, if there's a skilled unit, you know, a skilled unit where someone you know, is in for rehabilitation primarily, have had some type of hip replacement or something and are kind of just building up their strength before they go home. You know, these are people who can um, really weigh in perhaps on, you know, what, what their care preferences are and what they want to do and how much exercise they want to do and how they want to do that. So those are, that's a whole different kind of um, group. A lot of nursing homes have people with developmental disabilities um, that, you know, means you need to tailor to the intellectual level that these folks have so that their lives are rich um, in activities, but that are, that are safe for them. You might have someone who comes in for hospice care or respite care. Just because a, a person is, um, you know, engaged in the process of passing on doesn't mean that they won't be up moving around and possibly um, having a fall here and there. And that would be kind of like, it's a terrible experience for the person and the family to go through. But, you know, with respite care, someone might be in for a very short period of time um, while their family's out of town and you don't know this person very well. So, and then you've got folks who are there, you know, because of psychiatric problems, Again, perhaps some judgment issues. High-tech care who, you know, may be having intravenous um, medication given or may be on a ventilator or may be having some type of wound treatment. Um, all of these kind of places where, you know, things that used to happen in the hospital now happen in long-term care facilities. And then you just have people who live there, <laughs> you know, um, they're, they've, they've had some type, some type of illness or injury, and they're going to be living there for the rest of their lives. 
Um, and they're just kind of, that's their everyday life, their everyday home. They're not going to be going anywhere. And, you know, they have a special need too. So that's kind of, you know, acknowledging these different high-risk populations, bringing in staff who have expertise in those different areas to develop um, population-specific fall prevention programs um, is a place, I think, where we need to go next for fall prevention and long-term care facilities. So kind of the second idea for commitment to fall safety is to have the post-fall reporting and monitoring system so that when a fall happens, we are actually kind of following up on that and doing it in a systematic way so that, so that we have information on which to base changes. So when a fall is observed or reported, you find that person on the fall that it triggers, first off, if the person's injured, that you're providing treatment or referral immediately, then going in, documenting the circumstances of the fall with a, with a standardized tool um, that's kind of used across the board. A lot of times we do that in long-term care settings, and then it kind of gets put in that resident chart, um, and it doesn't necessarily get logged um, into this facility-wide reporting system. We've got we've got a really hassled MDS nurse who's going back at the end, or someone who's on the a QI nurse um, digging through charts, kind of looking at all of these. Whereas if you just log things in into a facility-wide reporting system, you could start, you know, identifying trends, patterns, intervals. Having a QI or a care team who determines the cause of and contributing factors for um, an individual fall and implementing the resident care plan for fall prevention, but then kind of looking across the board to to evaluate facility fall prevention practices. Are we having falls in a certain area of the building? They all seem to be happening over in the lounge on the West Hall. Well, why is that? What time of day is that happening? What do we need to do differently at this time of day so that these things don't happen anymore? This group getting together to revise facility practices if indicating and then monitoring overall um, how those changes um, impact um, resident and facility fall patterns. The next stage is kind of involving all staff in finding solutions for um, safe resident environments. And when I was doing my research, um, which was actually on continence care, I was I, I went to a, a couple different fall assessment, the, the quality team that was looking at falls at a couple different facilities. And I was quite surprised that there were not residents or family members on, on those fall prevention teams. And one of the, one of the things that, that um, staff at um, each of the facilities told me, you know, was that there was this, you know, that they'd be talking about individual residents. Um, and so this would, you know, kind of violate the people's privacy. But I would argue that there is time in which to have conversations about individual residents where staff may be sharing um, private details, but then there's also times to kind of look at what's happening facility-wide, in which case having residents and family members as part of that fall prevention team I think is critical. Um, people who live um, in long-term care settings experience it much differently than people who just visit uh, long-term care facilities or work in 
um, long-term care facilities. So having that perspective is very, very important. Through understanding what how residents experience the long-term care environment, then you can bring in, you know, um, for most multidisciplinary um, fall prevention interventions, you might have a doctor, a pharmacist, a physical therapist, a nurse, possibly the social worker who would be doing maybe a home care type um, of intervention. But when you're in long-term care, you have a lot more people to bring in. You have administrators who are going to help decide how resources are going to be used. You'll have the environmental services group. There's a lot of places where people can uh, trip, slip, tumble, fall. Well, you've got people looking at those in dialogue with residents. They'll tell you where they're where their, you know, toes are stubbing against something and something, you know, a door frame needs to be changed or something. So having environmental services on this team, you know, dietary, uh, there's some evidence that, you know, it's not to the level where we would say that, you know, it's definitely significant, but, you know, vitamin D might be important. Well, how can dietary help with that? Not to mention, um, the dietary workers are watching how things happen in the dining room, a place where a lot of falls happen. Bringing in the activities department. Not everything has to happen in the, in the therapy area. You can also do a lot of exercise with activities and um, having them be part of the team, very important. As well as pastoral care. When you obtain a fall history um, from uh, older people in particular, but really people of any age. And if you ask them to describe a fall that they've had in the past, almost everyone has a very readily accessible fall that has a kind of life lesson, something that um, hasn't been kind of fully explored. And one of the things that we're, that, you know, older adults are doing, um, towards the end of their lives is figuring out these kind of missed opportunities, places where they've stumbled. So bringing pastoral care in so that they can reflect on the importance of a fall or what was happening or what it means to them, meaning in their life. As well as we have the surveyors, like often kind of seen as um, the antagonist to the to the situation, but they have really good recommendations on how um, a facility can improve the care it's giving. So bringing them in onto the team as well um, is important. So I like to think instead of kind of that linear model, kind of four steps that CMS proposed, that, that we think of all prevention process as an adaptive process where we have kind of five steps identifying what the what the issue is, um, what the risk factors are, what the hazards are, um, and, you know, evaluating them in a systematic way so that we can implement the best interventions as possible, monitoring them again in a systematic fashion using something like um, the nursing outcomes classification or, you know, something beyond what is just in the MDS to kind of monitor how people are doing in fall prevention over time. And separating that from the idea of modifying those interventions. Because in modifying things, we may need to stop, start the whole process over. It may not 
be just going back to implementation. And that there's a conversation between each of these steps and across, across ways. So kind of the rest of this model is going to be based on this idea, which we had kind of way back, the intent of the regulation requirement. Ensuring that the long-term care facility provides an environment that's free from accident hazards over which the facility has control, as well as supervision and assistive devices to each resident to prevent avoidable accidents. So this model, I'm going to use the idea of quality indicators for falls, um, which are kind of generally accepted in the gerontological literature, and suggesting that we look at that, what do we do for each resident? If we take the individual perspective, resident focused, focusing on re, um, risk reduction, and that we use those same QIs to make changes to the long-term care environment in which we use a systems perspective. We have a population focus, um, different populations in this setting. And the idea is looking at hazard prevention. So the third objective for my talk today is to illustrate action steps to reduce fall risk among various resident populations in long-term care. And I'm not sure if you'll be able to see the little cartoon um, that I've used here, but um, so this is a, a very specific individual risk, Fred Astaire, in the later years. So again, as I said, um, quality indicators for falls which are commonly accepted in the literature. Um, there, there are 12 that have some pretty good evidence um, of their utility. We've figured them out through uh, largely multidisciplinary interventions, um, multifactorial interventions for vulnerable elders, um, primarily community dwelling elders. We haven't looked as much in older adults who live in nursing home settings, but I think a lot of the advice is transferable. And so today I'm going to talk um, about several of them. I'm not going to talk about assessing cognition or assessing and modifying home hazards or the use of assistive devices as needed um, as correctly. There's been a couple recent and, and or upcoming um, sessions that looked at assistive devices. That was a really great one. Um, and I think that there's one on kind of modifying the, the home setting. So I'll encourage you to look at those, those more in-depth discussions because it's more than what I could do today. But we'll talk about a bunch of them. So let's get going. So kind of quality indicator number one. The most important things for improving fall risks for preventing falls is to ask people about recent falls. And for each resident, you ask about their fall history at the, at the admission um, and per the MDS schedule. We kind of talked that, about that earlier. Once you've identified those folks who are kind of mid-risk fallers, so people who have had a fall recently um, within um, 30 days or six months of admission, kind of those mid-risk fallers, and people who didn't get injured, um, you may want to assess them for falls more recently, you know, maybe as often as each week to kind of see, um, you know, how things are going. And not only falls, but kind of those trips and slips. Anytime 
you know, training the nursing assistants that they bring information about, well, when I was transferring so-and-so, they had some stumbles, I had to catch them, you know, that these things are recognized as falls and kind of assessed and documented and further evaluated more frequently. And then you're going to have some folks who are high-risk fallers. These are people who had injuries in the past 90 days, as well as people who are going through big changes. And for high-risk residents, you might ask them about falls or assess them for falls. Each shift, for someone who is newly admitted to the facility, doesn't know how to move through that environment, perhaps people who have had a med change, which I'll talk about a little bit later, um, as well as people who um, are having delirium or uh, dementia. As well, these are high-risk fallers, and you may need to check in with them on each shift to see how things are going. So, so that's at the resident level. When you're talking about um, asking about recent falls at the level of the organization, kind of each shift, documenting falls on the standardized form and adding that fall to a facility-wide quality um, improvement instrument um, so that you kind of always have the picture of where are we at regarding falls here now today each week that you know kind of a, a, a quality improvement team maybe with a nurse and a therapist, reviews the falls log for individual patterns to try to understand what's happening um, with people and what needs to be kind of changed immediately. Um, and then each month getting together the quality improvement falls team, reviewing those logs for facility-wide patterns and trends, um, and looking at particularly locations, times, and circumstances. Like Lester's um, fairly recent article kind of looked at time-related patterns in one skilled nursing facility over six months. And while it was a retrospective chart review, so you're not getting, you know, the best details because whatever people didn't chart, you can't get at, found that the evening shift resulted in more serious injuries than falls that happened on the day shift. Um, and that the, the kind of highest percentage of falls was from that 4 o'clock to 8 p.m. time. Uh, people getting tired, a lot of things have to happen during that time and not as many staff during the day shift. But figuring out, you know, where are falls happening in your facility? Are people having more outside falls, inside falls? Those are different interventions that need to be put together. Times of day, circumstances. So, um, so asking about falls at the facility-wide level. So then kind of the second quality indicator um, across different groups is that you would do a basic falls assessment. For people um, who are just first admitted or in the quarterly, you're observing gait and balance. Um, just have them kind of walk, do a, do a short little um, time it up and go test, see how things are going. Monitor um, physical function changes along the way so that you're, so that um, nursing and therapy is really working with nursing assistants who know first when um, physical function changes are happening. You know, it's, it's harder to get the shoe on someone because, you know, they're kind of stiffening up. We're having a hard time with the transfers. I'm having to wheel them down the, the hall instead of walking down like we did a few weeks ago. So in people who've had a single fall in the, in the past six months 
and no injury um, physical therapy might conduct, you know, kind of a more in-depth gait and balance evaluation, looking for balance, looking for endurance, looking for strength, and recommend, you know, making recommendations from there. For folks who have two or more falls or a fall with injury, that a full multidisciplinary fall and risk factor evaluation um, is implemented to figure out what's happening here and how um, we can improve this person's risk factors as well as their quality of life. So that's at the resident level. Again, when you're looking at this, you know, basic fall evaluation from a perspective of the facility that you're looking kind of, again, each shift. It may seem like overkill, but it's better than, you know, having a bunch of falls. So kind of the idea of doing a fall sweep. Um, the staff and even the residents could scan the facility or the environmental um, for environmental hazards. Um, I kind of think of this as um, how I, you know, when I'm asking a kid to pick up, find three things in here that don't belong uh, where they're at, you know, and you can find a lot of, um, a lot of things that, you know, those wheelchairs that were out in the hallway or uh, magazines that were left on the floor, whatever, but documenting those hazards in kind of the fall log so that uh, the quality improvement team can identify patterns that are happening shift to shift across time. I think that's a useful intervention. As well as, you know, facility-wide each unit, that staff is trained um, to cover the hazards that are common to the unit or to the hall, as well as the fall risks in each resident. Um, the people that they are, you know, this kind of assumes that there's more of a kind of a primary care relationship um, between the nurses and nursing assistants and residents, um, you know, which is probably most helpful for um, reducing fall risk. But reasons why people would fall in the dementia unit are different than um, what, why people might fall in the, um, in the skilled unit and making sure that people understand those differences and are alerted to what, um, to how they need to behave to uh, minimize those risks. Um, and then facility-wide, review, reviewing the fall-related procedures. Are they up to date? Are you doing things that, you know, are not standards of care um, or best practices? Reviewing equipment instructions, um, not only within just a unit, but that everybody is kind of up to date on how equipment should be used because we, we kind of forget over time and we start using it the easy way instead of the right way. Um, and then kind of also looking at fall hazards on a seasonal basis because things change, you know, why people fall in summer is different than why people fall in winter. And not only reviewing those um, kind of so that people are alerted to them, but putting different interventions into place different times of the year. So quality indicator three, detecting orthostatic blood pressure problems. Um, within each resident, checking the orthostatic blood pressure and pulse at admission and quarterly and PRN so that you know where people are at. When, when you move into a new settings, um, what you eat change, what meds you take change, um, everything kind of changes. And so catching orthostatic blood pressure issues um, early so that you can intervene if necessary. So someone who's a recent faller, you should document the orthostatic, you know, vital signs. Maybe not right after the falls, but you know, that week. 
and kind of continuing it to look over the month so that you can identify if there's a pattern. Um, and then when um, someone who has an orthostatic blood pressure problem is identified that, you know, that they're doing a syncope evaluation by their primary care provider, correcting the underlying causes of the problem, and that the long-term care staff are um, instituting fall precautions so that, you know, someone isn't popping down up from a laying position and, you know, being stood up uh, and walked across the room, but are given a chance to kind of let their blood pressure settle in and settle up. So then looking at um, orthostatic blood pressure problems at the facility level, um, one of the big things is just making sure that you have a protocol in place for how um, to measure orthostatic blood pressures. We and his colleagues did a prospective study in which they looked at um, how often um, people, you know, fell related to um, their blood pressure problems. And there was um, people with a history of previous falls. Those with orthostatic hypertension were two times more likely to fall. So that kind of gets you why. But then looking at um, kind of the protocol and staff skills, skills testing, Lillian and their and her colleagues, Lillian Vlot, um, actually did a study where they evaluated the skills and knowledge of orthostatic blood pressure measurements for elderly patients. They were in eight different um, elder care um, hospitals in the Netherlands and observed um, 10 nurses at 17 different, different wards and figured out that um, Oftentimes, nurses used the wrong equipment or they used it in the wrong way. The documentation was not, you know, often was not, um, time was often not documented, so you couldn't tell um, how long apart it was between the lying and the, and the standing blood pressure. In 28% of the cases, the arm was not positioned, for example, at heart level during the standing blood pressure measurements. Um, 46% of the time, either the wrong cuff was used or the cuff was placed incorrectly. So if you're going to, you know, institute kind of orthostatic blood pressure monitoring, it's really important to, um, to get the staff skills up to date to certified nurses and nursing assistants um, on the measurement of this skill um, at higher and then annually um, after that. So kind of quality indicator number four, assessing vision problems. Um, so vision um, should be kind of screened and, you know, at admission. Um, has someone had a recent eye exam annually there after that? Also, you can document vision, you know, kind of the health-related quality of life using an instrument like that um, to figure out, you know, if people's vision is, is changing how, um, how they enjoy their lives. Um, for people who have a vision problem, um, beyond the need of just um, the corrective lenses, referring them for further um, evaluation. And just for anyone who has a vision problem, that they're using their glasses and that their glasses are clean um, and that um, the eye medications are, are delivered as prescribed. Um, so then looking at um, assessing vision problems at the facility level. So 
there's the visual environment, largely related to, to light. Um, and there's um, a study, La Polaire, possibly, I'm not exactly sure how to um, say the name. They're a team from um, Belgium who looked at um, the adequacy of the light levels in nursing homes to see how if it kind of met um, the visual needs of elderly residents. And they looked at, they, they measured it with a light meter at four times a day. Well, four different kinds of days, actually. Sunny day, cloudy day, when dusk was falling, and when it was dark. And at each of those times, um, the amount of light was measured in 16 different places that were used by um, relative, uh, residents. And um, pretty much across the board, um, there was not enough light <laughs> um, for older adults to kind of see what was going on. Um, there was there was no nursing home that met the kind of adapted standards in um, at least eight of 16 of those places during those different times of the day. So making sure that the light you have is neither too bright um, nor too dim um, for older adults. Then um, just enhancing um, vision enhancing interventions, you know, that people are trained on using those corrective lenses um, and how to kind of look through the visual environment to see, you know, is the light in here enough? Is it, you know, what these people need? And Dr. Teresi has done a study that looked at um, vision um, interventions to improve functional status in nursing home residents. And, you know, they found that just kind of doing these reinforcing techniques um, with the staff really improved how much, um, how much people were um, getting what they needed to be able to see properly. Um, and quality indicator, kind of five and six go together, screening for balance and for gait problems. So for each resident, you know, that you're conducting a brief assessment, um, again, standardized across everyone, whether it is a timed up and go or some other type of assessment that combines the idea of getting up, balancing, walking um, through time. Um, and then once you've identified a gait or balance problem in a person that, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy is working with nursing and the activities department um, to develop program for gait and balance um, training and that you practice gait and balance um, in everyday settings. You know, there, there's going to the gym um, and practicing, you know, with the physical therapist. But then, you know, most of the time people are going to be walking through their room. They're going to be walking through the hallway, they're going to be walking, you know, past someone in the dining room and kind of getting it so that practicing standing tall and standing strong um, in their everyday setting is um, very, very important. At the facility level, these gait and um, balance tasks don't have to be boring. Um, you know, um, one thing you could do is kind of conduct a facility-wide balance and gait Olympics, you know, kind of screening people during exercise class. Um, I'm not proposing that we race people up and down the hall, but, um, you know, it's kind of fun to see how you do against the timer and, you know, at the end you get a prize. You can also introduce um, balance training um, through video game technology to make um, some of those exercises that that they do in activity class a little more 
a little more fun, a little more competitive. That's how you can kind of bring it to the facility level, as well as screening for common balance problems and gates in special populations within your facility. You know, um, what's happening in the dementia unit, what's happening in the skilled unit, um, as well as kind of folks who are on new medications or high-risk meds, um, looking at gate and balance, you know, from, yeah. from that perspective. So another quality indicator is reviewing, discontinuing high-risk meds. Not everyone's going to be able to get off a med, um, but uh, there's been recent study where, um, well, let me go this way first. So each resident having a medication review at admission quarterly, PRN, if you've been to the hospital, if they've been to the doctor um, or their nurse practitioner and have gotten a new um, medication order, that, that this is being reviewed looking for interactions, looking for you know, possible um, risk to falls. For folks who are high-risk med users, you know, identifying them um, and sharing that information across the care team, especially when new meds or dose changes are happening um, that you may initiate fall precautions. So certain antidepressants, especially the non-SSRI ones, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So if you're taking one that's not an SSRI, they, nursing home residents are at a significantly greater risk for falls. And those falls happen kind of over time. For the first two days after um, these, there's a change in these, medic, these antidepressants, people are much more likely to fall, like five times more likely to fall. That's a big risk. So that there would be kind of a med alert given kind of and kind of across the board so that people know um, that so-and-so had an increase in this med um, or they've changed their dose um, or they started this dose and that there's increased supervision for that first week after the med change until you figure out how people are going to respond to that. And kind of the last quality indicator that I'm going to talk about um, is exercise. Um, I don't think that um, there is any evidence that exercise is bad for a person. Um, and so for each resident, encouraging exercise, um, exercising in everyday situations um, that, you know, that you do a couple um, heel lifts when you're getting out of bed, that you do a deep knee bend here or there, you know, as you're, as you're moving around. So that, you know, that, that the exercise is happening within the context of a life, you know, and that people are standing up, people are walking. There's a lot of sitting that happens. And the more people sit, uh, the more likely they are actually to die. So, you know, get up, stand up, whatever. So, um, and then within the high-risk fallers, you know, that that exercise is not just um, general exercise, but it is to improve gait, balance, strength, or endurance. Um, that these are structured, supervised exercise programs targeted to specific fall risks. So, and engaging folks. We still, you know, we still have nursing homes that look like this, where people are kind of lined up in their chair um, and not moving around. Um, or maybe we've got the exercise class where people are sitting. And if we can get to the place where people are standing up, moving around, maybe even going outside, um, taking, the, taking the fresh air along with their exercise, the more engagement 
um, the better. So we're down to kind of the end. Um, and this is objective four, and it's going to be kind of short and sweet because it's something I want. Um, we don't have much literature about um, strategies to foster positive uh, staff attitudes towards a fall safe environment. Um, but we do know um, this um, from Deaver and Fitzgerald, um, that caregivers ha can develop kind of a fear avoidance model of falls. And so when folks, nurses, nursing assistants, fear falling among people, this study was done um, with people who worked with persons with dementia in long-term care, um, controlling for the baseline functional status of the older adult, controlling for their physical risk factors. If their caregivers reported that they were worried or feared the person falling, that was predictive of restraint um, use or restriction use um, at three months. And that restraint use was predictive of functional ability decline and injurious falls. Um, so when you've got care caregivers who are worried about older adults falling, um, they're likely to, you know, to overprotect them in a way that will actually make it more likely that um, the older adult will fall and have an injurious fall. So um, this is kind of, um, it's my blank screen. Um, the extemporaneous part I talked about earlier on. Um, and I think empowering, empowering staff to make changes. Um, changes don't have to cost a lot of money. Um, changes should be based um, on what residents want. Um, and I think a great way to kind of um, help staff understand um, what it is that they are or aren't doing um, to help residents maintain um, a fall safe environment is to send the residents off with a camera and um, to kind of do a photo voice intervention where residents take pictures of um, places or situations where they have fallen, worry about falling, um, want to prevent um, themselves from ever falling, and um, having the residents kind of talk about that with staff. Here's, here's what things are going on. You know, are you aware of this? And the resident and staff working together to figure out um, ways to um, to kind of improve the care and fall prevention strategies in this setting. I think kind of the best way to do this is um, mostly through dialogue. Um, and um, dialogue has the word log in it. So, um, you know, making sure that we're kind of looking, documenting, seeing these things over time, going back and changing. Um, things that aren't working. So that's kind of, that's what I have today to talk to you about um, for falls in long-term care settings. Um, I hope that was useful to you. I have some references here. I have some references um, kind of scattered throughout as well. Uh, I had a delightful time talking with you today. I hope it helped a little bit um, and kind of go out there, talk to resident, figure out um, what they want to kind of improve um, the fall environment, the fall safe environments uh, in their facility. So, it's a lot.